When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money, but are your bills even accurate? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million to save. Visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. We're rolling into the second hour Tuesday edition of the program, and we are joined now by the governor of Tennessee, Bill Lee. Appreciate him taking the time to join us, especially since yesterday he issued an executive order in his state allowing all parents to make decisions about whether or not their kids wear masks in schools. Governor, thanks for joining us. How would you come to make that decision, and what has the reaction been to that executive order that you released yesterday? Hey Clay, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I have always been a really strong believer that um, parents know best what their children need. So I, I'm a parent, I raised four kids, got eight grandkids. Uh, no one knows their kid like the parent. No one cares about their children more than their parents. And so, in the middle of all of this. Uh, COVID world that we're living in, which is people, there's a lot of fear and a lot of frustration and a lot of anger. Uh, at the end of the day, I think when we think about children in schools and COVID and masks and vaccinations, it ought to be left up to the parent. And so I'm also, I'm also a believer in, you know, government that's closest to the people is the best. So I, I think local decision making is important. So our executive order actually gives the school district the authority to impose a mandate, but it gives the parent the ability to opt out of that if they choose it. Governor Lee, it's Buck here. So are some of the uh, cities, localities, are, are any of them trying to take some kind of action uh, uh, you know, against this? Are they fighting it? Are they saying they're going to ignore it or, or try to take uh, try to take you as governor to court? How is how is this being received? 
Well, you know, this just happened yesterday afternoon. So, um, we're, you know, we're kind of getting some first responses of a couple of districts that have said, you know, they're looking at their legal options. Uh, what I hope is that those districts, we have, we have some almost 150 districts in our state. There are two of them uh, that have kept their schools closed the longest, have been most, uh, have had the, have had, frankly, had the worst outcomes academically of the rest of our districts. Most of the districts in this state have figured out how to navigate this forward. Actually, a couple of them had already imposed an, a mandate with an opt-out. Uh, I'm hopeful that these two districts that have already spoken up um, will will actually realize, hey, this makes a lot of common sense. The rest of the districts in this state have, have figured out how to do it. We should, too. What would you tell parents who are in the two districts are Nashville and Memphis, mostly city schools? What would you tell parents there who may not want their kids to wear masks, but the school districts are saying, hey, we don't care necessarily about the governor's order. You are expected to wear a mask in this school. How should parents respond in your mind in Davidson County and in Shelby County and Nashville and in Memphis? You know, I think I think one of the things that's been important to me is that parents have really put voice to this all across the country. And uh, it's a part of what has occurred even in Tennessee. Parents have made their voices known and they ought to make it known in the two counties and the two school districts that we have that are, you know, making noise about not complying with the law. Um, I, I would encourage parents to make their voice known and to let them know that the law as it's as it stands is for them to opt out and that's what they that's what they want to do. Governor Lee Buck again, I, I just want to know how concerned you are as a governor of a state that's trying to give parents choice about masks and, and also of Tennessee. I mean I'm a, a New Yorker, New York City, New York State. Uh so I've had to suffer through some of the worst decision making by a governor and by a, a mayor, I think, of anybody in the country during covid how concerned are you about federal policy starting to infringe upon the the freedoms and uh, and protections that the residents of the state of tennessee should have essentially the biden administration coming in and whether it's on uh, interstate travel mandates about vaccination or anything else here are you are you worried are you seeing some indicators that that's something you may have to combat as a governor well uh, worried <laughs> you know I don't worry about that. I certainly see it coming. We watch this every day. Since January, we've seen government overreach and the federal government trying to tell states what to do on, on policy after policy. So I won't, I won't be at all surprised if we uh, see that kind of government intervention into what we do as a state, but, but we, will, we will push back. And we will talk back. When they tell us what to do, we will tell them what we're going to do. I, I really think that states have a lot of power constitutionally. They have a lot of power in this country. They're, the majority of states are run by Republicans. Uh, there's, there is a great awareness, and I think you've seen that even, that the federal government will say what they think states ought to do, but states don't comply because they don't have to constitutionally. And I'm not scared of that or worried about it. I'm just prepared for it. We're talking to Tennessee Governor Bill Lee. Uh, Governor, you had a uh, an employee inside of Tennessee, a vaccination director, 
uh, Dr. Michelle Fiscus, who went on CNN and said that she got a dog muzzle sent to her because people were upset about some of the things that she was saying. She since no longer with the state of Tennessee. But an investigation yesterday, according to a report from Axios, uh, the Tennessee Department of Safety and Homeland uh, Security determined the muzzle was purchased from a credit card in this woman's name. It's a wild story. When did you become aware of this story, and what can you tell us, if anything, about your knowledge of that investigation? You know, I knew our Department of Safety was investigating it, and the report came out yesterday. I actually haven't read the report myself. I've I've got a lot more to to think about than uh, a a disgruntled ex-employee. As an employer for 35 years, I I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. I move on to the next subject. So I'll I'll read the report at some point, but um, (laughs) I'm not spending a lot of time there. Governor Lee, can you tell us about your possible uh, coordination with governors of like-minded states? I mean, Ron DeSantis of Florida comes to mind, Governor Abbott of Texas, uh, perhaps a few others that I'm not even naming here, where you're just, uh, do you speak to any other governors about COVID policy, or are, are you you know reaching out to, to experts or to, to folks in those states to see what's working for them and what's not? Yeah, so I actually chair the what they call the Public Policy Committee of the Republican Governors Association. There's 27 governors. We, um, during COVID in particular, in the last year, we have weekly or biweekly calls um, where there are 10, 12, 15 governors on the call, and we talk for an hour every week. We did in the in the height of the pandemic uh, about issues that we that we share challenges that we face. I talk to governors every week. I, I will one-off call a governor about, you know, Governor Ricketts about something that's happening or Governor Stitt in Oklahoma or Governor uh, Governor Abbott. Um, and, you know, for example, we I called Governor Abbott when, when I was about to go to the border and, and I talked with Governor Ducey in Arizona about this last week. So how do we states that are not border states, you know, how can we be helpful not only in our in our policy, but in our messaging to the federal government. Yes, sir. I talk to governors on a regular basis about everything from the energy policy in this country that has been threatened uh, by things like Keystone Pipeline cancellation to border the border catastrophe that we have. Uh, uh, issues that matter to and COVID issues that matter to all of us. Governor Lee, appreciate the time. Uh, Last question for you. The Raiders, uh, the Oakland Raiders used to be, now the Las Vegas Raiders are requiring vaccine passports to go to a football game in the NFL this year. New York City just implemented its own vaccine passport. Sports have been an important part of normalcy, and you did a great job ensuring that high school sports were played and that kids were in person in school in Tennessee last year. Do you anticipate that people will be able to go to full stadiums to watch the Titans play, to watch the University of Tennessee and other big sports venues without needing any sort of COVID vaccine passport? Is that allowed under Tennessee law? What kind of expectations do you have as we move closer and closer to what is a big deal here all over the South and all over the country, really, football season? Yeah, I sure hope. That we that no one moves toward that in our state or across the South. 
COVID, I mean, passport, vaccine passports are the concept of vaccine passports. Terrible idea. Um, not just, and not, I'm not talking about political. I'm a business guy. Why would you want to shun half of your customers? And why would you want to uh, create a hardship for finding employees in this in this environment where work companies are desperate to find good developed workforce? So it's a, it's a bad business idea, uh, and it's forcing. You know, in in Tennessee, we're not going to force or coerce or blame or shame. We the vaccines are important. We have worked really hard to make them available to, we've got 110,000 people a week getting a vaccine right now in Tennessee, which is, which is way up and we're glad for that. I got a vaccine, it keeps people safe. I'm encouraging people to do it, but making them do it is uh, counterproductive. In fact, in my view, it, it, it creates hesitancy, then I hope that doesn't happen. Governor Lee, thanks so much for being here on the Clay and Buck Show. Uh, we appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you all. Have a good day. You know, Clay, the emails keep pouring in here. We're hearing more and more from folks about Relief Factor. And, I mean, these these testimonials really make the point. George in Oregon wrote, I'm in a garbage truck 10 hours a day with limited movement for my right knee. Needless to say, stiffness due to swelling was my situation. By taking Relief Factor daily, I can bend my knee again with very little pain. I'm very pleased. Look, whether it's George or people in our own families, my mom and dad, Clay's wife, we're hearing about people who are seeing Relief Factor work in their lives, either to deal with chronic pain or just to help them recover after strenuous exercise. No doubt, Buck. My wife is in incredible physical shape. She works out about as hard as anybody can. And she loves Relief Factor because it goes right to the source of inflammation. Hundreds of thousands of people have ordered Relief Factor, and about 70% of them go on to order more. Now you can join the more than half a million people and order the three-week quick start for only nineteen ninety-five. Here's how you do it. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF to get the 1995 three-week quick start developed for you. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF. Relief Factor. Feel the difference. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to Start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. From a military perspective, John, our focus is at the airport, right? Uh, security and stability at the airport so we can keep operations going. We're working hand in glove with the State Department uh, uh, in terms of supporting their plans uh, at processing these individuals. Uh, but uh, again, that's something that we're going to be doing on a case-by-case, day-by-day basis. Right now, though, uh, I don't want to set the expectation that uh, that we are equipped and, and, uh, and able uh, to go out into the countryside and physically move people into Kabul. Our focus right now, the troops that we have there are at the airport the idea is to make sure we can get that uh, the air operations not only have they resumed but to keep them in place for as long as possible if they can't get to the airport what does it matter if you have the capabilities to get them out from the airport yeah, john i understand that and we all understand that the security situation in kabul is not ideal uh, right now the airport is open uh, and people are able to get through uh, through the gates there there's a there's a processing process that actually has to occur Welcome back to the Clay and Buck Show. That was just from this morning. You had the Pentagon spokesman uh, Kirby there saying it's not ideal, which is quite an understatement. We have Americans who are still in. We have U.S. soldiers, of course, thousands of them in harm's way, but also Americans beyond that. Uh, journalists, uh, aid workers, people, thousands and thousands of Americans remain in the country right now. A lot of people reached out in the last 24 hours uh, from with military backgrounds talking about how, and I think like, this is just another one of these areas where it shows the just lack of foresight and planning and the fact that they gave up Bagram Air Base, which was the primary air hub for the 20 years of this war, and they essentially abandoned it in the middle of the night and just said, okay, we're going to leave this to the Afghans, and the Afghan army abandoned it to the Taliban. So we could have had two air bases, more logistics, better preparation. Instead, we now have Taliban checkpoints that are preventing, as I'm speaking to you right now, as we're talking to you all across the country, there are Taliban checkpoints that are preventing people from even being able to get to the airport. We don't know how many, you know, they they were asked that, but they don't know how many Americans are currently uh, waiting to get to or, or trying to get to the airport. Clay, this could, this could turn really frightening and tragic in a hurry so I and mean, we're talking about this as though the Biden administration has suffered the uh the political and optics nightmare and it's over but until every single american that's supposed to get out of there is on a plane in the sky out of afghan airspace this thing's not over no doubt and the wall street journal just sent out an alert as we were sitting here doing the show saying that people can't get to the airport because the Taliban is surrounding it. And there are some jets. They said a jet took off with only seven people on it. 
So you've seen probably that viral photo, a lot of you have, of one of these big military planes with 600-some-odd Afghans. C-17. All loaded in there as tightly packed as they could possibly get it. That is the ideal scenario, right? You want to get as many people that uh, that you can out safely before the Taliban takes control completely of the airport. But right now, the reports are that there are thousands of American citizens that are not able to get to the Kabul airport. And this is where we keep talking about Joe Biden as Jimmy Carter 2.0. This is where, obviously, the embassy situation is not the same, but we could end up, and I hope we don't, But we could end up in a situation where some elements of the Taliban try to take American hostages in an effort to either try and get some sort of payment or to uh, to try and demonstrate their ability to stand up to the United States in a political perspective. We don't know how this is going to shake out, but things could still go very, very ugly, messy even more so than they are right now. And we hope it doesn't happen, but it could. And I think it's it's interesting when you look at what the Biden administration, what Joe Biden himself was saying a month ago about how this won't turn into a Vietnam-like circumstance. Uh, that's actually pushing in, in the wrong director, taking the wrong perspective on it, in that the South Vietnamese fought on for two years after the U.S. military withdrawal. We still supported them, and then the Congress actually pulled uh, that financial and, and logistical support but the South Vietnamese Army actually did continue the fight against North Vietnam for a, for a pretty long time before uh, the fall of Saigon and all the things that we now have We've become so familiar with. Saigon this, on steroids this right was, now. Yeah, this was just collapse. I mean, it was it felt like instantaneous collapse, and the Biden administration has to deal with this. But, you know, there if you're wondering about the lessons learned from the left and from the Democrats on this, uh, you can be assured that. The moment they can they can change the topic to either the need to have COVID fear all the time forever or the insurrection, they will. You got to hear what an alleged comedian, a very well-known one, thinks of the Taliban and thinks of uh, people in this country who were at that January 6th riot. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But, you know. We've got customer testimonials flooding in about rough greens. Renee in Jacksonville, Florida, says she got the 14-day supply, and her Labrador, I love labs, by the way, fantastic dogs, loves it. Her coat is shinier. Her breath is better. I'm a believer, and I love knowing she's eating the nutrients that uh, are within her baked kibble. I'm now a rough greens subscriber. Look, rough greens is just a supplement that you add into whatever you feed your dog right now. You add rough greens in. We give it to Tallulah, my family, Frenchie. We've got two other dogs in the family. We're getting them on Rough Greens, too. Feel free to add um, this into your dog's food, no matter what food it is. Fancy, standard stuff you buy in the grocery store, you'll love it. The folks at Rough Greens are so confident your dog is going to love Rough Greens, they've got a special deal for you, our listeners. Go to roughgreens.com slash Clay and Buck. They'll give you the first bag free. That's R-U-F-F, roughgreens.com slash Clay and Buck. All you pay is shipping. He's right. We've had troops there for 20 years. They fought. They sacrificed. Their families sacrificed so that we wouldn't have a terrorist attack in America planned in a foreign country. Why should our soldiers be fighting radicals in a civil war in Afghanistan? We've got our own on Capitol Hill. 
Welcome back to the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. This is Buck, and that was Stephen Colbert, a multimillionaire comedian who was comparing the Taliban to the grandmothers taking selfies on the floor of Congress on January 6th, right? Same kind of thing, same deal. Well, we're going to get into this in a moment because it's so enraging, but you got to remember that for Democrats, for the left, their only real enemies are domestic. They always feel like they could buy off or beg forgiveness from actual external enemies to the United States. But here we actually have uh, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, giving a live White House briefing on the debacle of the Biden administration pullout. Let's join for a second here and hear what Mr. Sullivan has to. Our country team in Kabul who have been doing incredible work under very trying circumstances. They have safely and effectively drawn down our embassy compound and retrograded our diplomatic personnel. They have now secured the airfield and are conducting flights out of the country. They are moving American citizens, as well as Afghan nationals and third country nationals. They are facilitating flights for our allies and partners to get citizens and others out of Afghanistan. These operations will continue in the coming days as we move to evacuate American citizens and Afghan nationals who worked with us, along with other vulnerable Afghans. We are engaging diplomatically at the same time with allies in regional countries and with the United Nations to address the situation in Afghanistan. We are in contact with the Taliban to ensure the safe passage of people to the airport. We are monitoring for any potential terrorist threats, as I just mentioned, including from ISIS-K. We intend to continue these operations over the coming days before completing our drawdown. When you work on any policy issue, domestic policy, foreign policy, any policy issue, the human costs and consequences loom large. And we're all contending with the human costs of these developments. The images from the past couple of days at the airport have been heartbreaking. But President Biden had to think about the human costs of the alternative path as well, which was to stay in the middle of a civil conflict in Afghanistan. There are those who argue that with 2,500 forces, the number of forces in country when President Biden took office, we could have sustained a stable, peaceful Afghanistan. That is simply wrong. The previous administration drew down from 15,000 troops to 2,500 troops. And even at 15,000, the Afghan government forces were losing ground. What has unfolded over the past month has proven decisively that it would have taken a significant American troop presence, multiple times greater than what President Biden was handed to stop a Taliban onslaught. And we would have taken casualties. American men and women would have been fighting and dying once again in Afghanistan. And President Biden was not prepared to send additional forces or ask any American personnel to do that over the period ahead. All right, let, Clay, let, let's come in here for a second. This is important. This is a change in narrative. You got the updates there about the airfield. They've secured the airfield. We know that. But this this part of the narrative is going to get a lot of debate, a lot of consideration, I think, in the days ahead, which is that the Biden White House is now saying that essentially the Taliban offensive was so powerful to begin with. The blitz, the Taliban blitzkrieg, as I've been calling it, starting uh, in, in spring of this year, that the U.S. presence, that there was already a loss of ground going on all over the country and the U.S. was going to effectively have to actually go to war with the Taliban to stop the collapse Anyway, which is ironic because five and a half weeks ago on July 8th, Joe Biden told the American public 
the exact opposite of that buck, which was what's happening now was not going to happen. Yeah. So when and they were they, good to go, yeah, I mean, they were going to hold their ground, decide that it wasn't going to be safe and that there was no way they could stand up to the Taliban, because that's two different stories being told now in five and a half weeks. Also, Buck, Jen Psaki has ended her vacation and at least is showing up. Now, this was not her talking yet. But I'm curious whether they got so ripped for Biden not taking questions yeah. that they decided they had to come back today and take media you, questions. You work for the White House and you have the worst U.S. foreign policy disaster in a generation. Uh, I think you got to show up. I think you got to stop working on your tan and actually decide that you have to address the American people. But interesting. Another thing, Clay, maybe this just annoys me because I used to work in the intel side of things. But the the Democrat White Houses, whether it's Obama or this White House under Biden, they have these uh, advisors. They love to they, they they use terms that remember when it was ISIL yeah, with yeah, with yeah. the Obama administration. No one said ISIL except for Obama and his top advisors. Always ISIL, right? And you might have heard him here, Jake Sullivan, say ISIS K. For anyone who's wondering, that's a, that's a, that's what they're referring to as the Islamic State of Khorasan. Which Khorasan is, it, it appears in a hadith. It's a geographic area that's roughly analogous to, uh, to what's Afghanistan, Pakistan, and some of the surrounding countries today. And there's a hadith that says that the uh, men with black flags will come out of Khorasan and march all the way to Jerusalem. It's kind of an end of days thing. Big with the jihadis. But anyway, <laughs> they say ISIS K. I can assure you no one out there really had any idea what they were talking about, but whether it's Taliban, why can't they just say, I, I know this seems small, but I think it's an arrogance thing. It's the Taliban. All right. We're yeah. Americans. We call it the Taliban. Right. They don't speak Pashto. We don't need to hear them go Taliban. You know, we don't have to hear that. I know people say Arabic. But that's not the point. They don't care about uh, what it is that they're now trying to communicate to the American people being all true. They care about how it makes them look. And that's what I think we continue to see play out here with the White House and Jake Sullivan. Well, that's why they're having this press briefing right now is because Biden failed yesterday. I think it's fair to say this response today is an indication that Biden's address failed in many ways. And they knew that he would get criticized for not taking questions. So they brought Jen Psaki back out of her vacation. She's going to trot up there, say she'll circle back a few times. And the media that has otherwise been furious because the White House hasn't shown up for basically a week to discuss, like you said, the biggest calamity, I think it's fair to say, in a couple of generations from a foreign policy perspective, uh, and right now they're trying to, uh, trying to catch up with their week's worth of failures, both on the ground and in media. And by the way, a lot of this time when they're talking, we're seeing videos that counteract what they're saying, right? They may have the airport open, but are people allowed to reach the airport? That's a big part right. of this as well. And there are videos, you know, because we live in this social media era, there are video and the Taliban does not have, unlike some other situations where, you know, the Chinese government, the Russian government can shut down communications. I mean, the Taliban has spent a long time trying to blow up cell towers and create chaos just to do that. But they don't have the ability to stop, uh, you know, cell service and, and, and shut down everything nationwide. So you are seeing a lot of video. You're seeing a lot of real time updates on what's happening on the ground here and uh, that means that you have for example right now video circulating of taliban lining uh lining people up 
and uh, against the wall in Kabul. Fortunately, you have not seen widespread executions yet. Yes. But uh, from what I understand, you can hear in some of the audio, I've been reading some of the transcripts of this stuff, you can hear people yelling, uh, you know, Amriki, or we all know what that means. When you're lining up people against a wall in Kabul right now, and you hear something that sounds like America, it's, did you work with the Americans? And we all know that the wrong answer to that could get people killed. So this is a, a, a pretty terrifying situation that continues to play out here and the Biden administration receiving uh, all due opprobrium on this one and and then some. But look at you, S-A-T words, breaking them out. S-E-C, S-A-T, whatever it takes. Those are definitely not S-E-C words. I'll tell you that much (laughs) right now. Whatever it takes. Yeah. And we'll come back into this in a second. Remember, we got Tommy Laren uh, joining us at the top of the next hour to talk about where where this Biden administration goes from here and, and how they can start to or what they will start to do, which my theory is that doubling down on COVID, making the insurrection, the big news story this fall. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but they'll find a way. Uh, they got to try to control the optics because of all the disasters that they're putting the American people through. We can see it. They can't hide that. And, you know, America vowed to never forget. And the 20th anniversary of 9-11 is almost here. Let that sink in. 20 years since the deadliest terror attack on American soil. So much has changed since then. But one foundation remains committed to honoring the lives lost on 9-11 and the heroes who continue to serve our communities and country, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. This year, they're bringing back Towers of Light tributes at the Pentagon and Flight 93 memorials because of your support. Because you remember, Frank Siller, the chairman and CEO, is honoring the fallen clay by walking more than 500 miles to connect the 9-11 sites. Indeed, on the morning of 9-11, he's also retracing his baby brother's footsteps to ground zero 20 years later. Talk about emotional. The foundation's also starting new traditions, reading the names of every person lost to 9-11 related illness and in a separate ceremony, the names of soldiers lost in the war on terror as well. Help our country to never forget. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. 
On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Buck here with Clay. We're going to be joined by special guest Tommy Laren of Fox News here in studio in Nashville. we got a bunch of Nashvillians that are going to be ganging up on me, the city, the city boy from New York who is watching his hometown, Clay, just descend into the depths of madness. We were just talking about it off the air. I mean, you had to show your vaccine card to be able well, to... Well, I will this yeah, week. Yeah, you will. I, I mean, you've got, got to carry it around in your wallet got to carry it, just it, like a normal ID. This is a show-your-papers law. But remember, showing an ID to vote is, is racist. racist. That's right. Showing an ID and a vaccine passport for millions of people who don't even need the vaccine based on the science we already have... Yes, that's what Fauci says needs to happen. And, to and by the you. way, did you have to show an ID, a photo ID to get your vaccine, too? Right? Yes, of course. Which yes. which is like so the essence for people out there who say, well, voting is a constitutional right. Well, a lot of left wingers believe that health care is a right, too. But in order to get your vaccine, you have to have an ID. So you could die, theoretically. If you didn't have an ID, which seems like it's kind of racist. I still love the nurse at the city run health center telling yes. me. You sure you want to get this? Yeah. Something like you, you give people vaccines all day. She's like, look, I got no choice. It was kind of funny. Well, you know, we've had a call that we wanted to get to for a while here, uh, just because it, it sounds like it would bring such interesting perspective to our discussions about Afghanistan. John in Stamford, Connecticut, was says here, uh, part of the Saigon evacuation. John, welcome. Hi, guys. Buck and Clay, great job. Pray for you both all the time. God bless you. Appreciate Thank you. Um, yeah. Yes, I was in the uh, Marine, I was in Marine Corps, and uh, we were involved in the evacuation of Saigon. And so many parallels are going on here. It's like we've learned nothing. The big takeaway I take away from this, and I'm a little emotional, but please, you know, I, every soldier fights, so his the, his sons won't have to fight. Uh, the same mistakes are being made. Uh, we went in there for purposely for evacuation. It turned into Crowd control, right? Riot control, really, much like just like you're seeing now. The chopper on top of the uh, uh, embassy in Saigon was the picture of that evacuation. This evacuation, I believe, will be that C-17 on the runway with all the nationals around it. it just total madness and chaos. Now they could have learned from that mistake and kept Marines and, and soldiers in country until the embassy was clear if that was their goal. They did nothing. Does it just bring you back? You you kind of talked about it, but 1975, does it feel like you're almost snapping your fingers? when Because Biden and the administration have said we're not going to have a Saigon-like situation. As someone who was in Saigon, when you watch what's going on in Afghanistan right now, it feels like basically the same thing to you all over again. 
it, it breaks my heart. I'm in tears. And I know what it's like to have a generation of soldiers fight and die for nothing. And we're just seeing it again. This does not have to be. We have the finest our country has to offer, and this is going on. And it's because of poor leadership. And believe me, it goes deeper than that, and you guys know it. But, yes, it, 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 I'm there. I can't even watch the news. It just, it's just too that real to me. Well, John, thank you for your service. First of all, thank you for your perspective and calling in. And, and a lot of people are feeling the way you are, you know. And thank you again, John. You know, Clay, I, we had Sean Parnell on yesterday. Yes. You know, he's a longtime good friend of mine. And, you know, he's just, he, that's, that's a guy who loves his country and, and just loves his brother and sister veterans with, with all of his heart. You could hear him yesterday just saying to all of them, because for, you know, for us, we sit here. I mean, yeah, I was in Afghanistan, the CIA, but I wasn't, I wasn't a combatant on the front lines. I wasn't somebody who was wearing the uniform. And, you know, we talk about this in terms of policy. For a lot of people who are listening right now, it's nights spent wondering if the outpost was going to get overrun. It's seeing friends getting medevac to Bagram, not knowing if they're going to make it to Germany, where they're going to have to have serious operations after being hit by IEDs. And they're watching what's happening here. And the ineptitude and the incompetence of the Biden administration, the people who are making these decisions, the lies they're telling, and they're furious. Not only that... It's, to your point, the decision to leave Afghanistan is one thing. The Biden administration's refusal to acknowledge the chaotic disaster that leaving Afghanistan, that's the story, right? And they're trying to turn it into the method in which the choice was made to leave Afghanistan. People aren't focused right now on the choice to leave Afghanistan. That's honestly a debate we've had for a long time, a decade or more, and 15 it years. Pretty much bipartisan, clear we majority don't need to be there. that we shouldn't stay there forever. That's, that's, what, right. that's what pushed this on. That's but right. how you leave does matter. And, and it matters in a massive way. And the fact that you and I could sit here last week that you could sit here with us on the air last month, Buck, and say, hey, the people that I'm talking to are saying the Taliban's going to be in control of Afghanistan really, really fast, far faster than what they are saying publicly. The fact that Joe Biden on July 8th could say we're not going to have a Saigon situation, we're not going to have our embassy being stormed, we're not going to leave in a chaotic fashion, and all of those things can be blown up and be proven false within five and a half weeks, and they won't acknowledge that, that's where I think a great deal of the anger comes. You can retreat with honor, and our government did not allow our soldiers to do that. Well, there's also a belief, and and when we're talking again, Sean, Sean yesterday, Sean Parnell, who's a 10th Mountain and wrote a, a really excellent memoir uh, called Outlaw Platoon about his time there, which I'd recommend to any of you want to know what it was like to be taking incoming and in close quarters battles with with Taliban and insur- Haqqani backed Taliban insurgents. We could talk about the Haqqani network and the evils there in another day. Uh, but they felt like they fought so hard, Clay, to give a lot of them, a lot yes. of veterans you talked to, to give the Afghans a chance. That's right. And so at least if they had if the Afghan army had stood up and fought for, you know, for a period of time where it felt like they got to maybe a standstill, a stalemate. And then there would be some negotiation. They'd be in a better position. They didn't think that they were just that the Afghan national government and the Afghan army was going to roll over. So they feel like they gave them a chance for what? That's what I'm hearing from veterans. Not only that, to not even be able to give a clear departure to American citizens. We got to figure out. I know we're still hoping that this is going to turn out well, Buck. But sooner or later, someone has to be responsible here for this failure. 
And what is that responsibility going to look like? That's going to be the conversation I think we have in the days and weeks ahead, certainly on this show, but as a part of the larger national discourse, I think that needs to be happening as well. Talk about the Biden administration's many catastrophes and more mask mandates, vaccine passports with Tommy Lahren of Fox News in just a couple minutes. You're listening to Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on the EIB Network. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 